0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger radio show podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging.
0: In fact, the name badger probably comes from the French word becher, meaning digger. It's
1: that badger style. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast. It's a great pleasure to have you with me this week because it's a special occasion. The 50th edition of the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank every single one of you for listening over the last 50 shows. Thank you so much for your correspondence, for your communication and for your support of the Cricket Budget radio show podcast over that time and we've got quite a special show to bring you this week because we bring you Dan Norcross, we're going to talk about all things England in Sri Lanka, when we spoke, England on the verge of victory, obviously they've secured that since, and we talk about how to fit a court into a pint pot for England in the luxurious situation of having a plethora of riches, how does Johnny Bairstow come back into that side how do we fit Stuart Broad, or Stone back into that side. Which of the three spinners carries on? In other series, Ed Smith has got a bit of head scratching to do, and myself and Dan try and help him with some suggestions on the way forward with that England team. And we're also joined to answer the Cricket Badger quick questions this week by Ryan Higgins, the former Middlesex current Gloucestershire all rounder. He's had a fantastic 2018 season, and the 23 year old joins us to take on the challenge of the quick questions and a few more besides about his career and his hopes for the future in cricket. It's all here on this week's edition. The 50th edition of the Cricket Badger Radio Show Podcast.
0: It's the Badger style.
1: First up, then, Dan Norcross, talking all things England in Sri Lanka and talking about England's selection dilemmas as we go through the rest of this series and the series ahead. Pleasure, then, on this 50th edition of the Cricket Badger Radio Show Podcast, to be joined by one of our regular favourite guests, Dan Norcross. How are you?
2: Oh, James, what, what, what a genuine honour to be on your fiftieth edition. Well done to you. Raise your microphone to the crowd and uh, hear the applause ringing. <laughs> 50 is not bad. I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. I'm, I'm in a twin room in a Holiday Inn in Salford at the moment with an unkempt bed that I have just recently got out of. Normally when I'm on your show, um, I am semi-naked in bed surrounded by tea and cigarettes and what have you. But um, you caught me just in time for me to get up because the, unforgiving nature of the test matches in Sri Lanka. I'm not I'm not really I'm not a morning person. I'm a bit more of a night owl, you see. So I find it virtually impossible to sleep before 12, 1 o'clock. And then I'm up at four thirty. Like everybody is who loves their cricket, aren't they? Your body clock goes, bing, test match. And then I've got to go and do this thing with the B, the the cricket social, just across the way. So after five hours of wibbling, I come back with the best of intentions. There's a gym, a very mini one. There's a a gym in the hotel. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, I've got the gym kit, right? I've got the kit. Weirdly, I've just packed it in my bag in anticipation of the test match being finished on the fourth day, and it's been unused. Every day I've come back, I've had a modest salad, I've looked at my gym kit, thought I'll put that on, go down the floor, eight, have, a, have an hour on the, on, the, on the bike while reading a book. And then I'll just have a quick snooze and then I wake up and it's half past four, it's dark outside, can't be bothered. So in lieu of, a, in lieu of the gym, I'm having a bath shortly. So you've caught me just between bed and a bath. How's that?
1: Beautiful. I, I'm not sure the 50th edition warrants a dinner jacket or black tie event, but uh, <laughs> I think, I think getting, getting out of bed and actually putting some clothes on, it's, uh, it's an honour to have you with me this week. And as you mentioned, obviously the Sri Lanka-England Test Series is underway, and for First impressions, Dan, because I must admit, before the series started, I was a little concerned about England's hopes in this one. I thought with spinning wickets, with the Sri Lankans firing at England, we've had recent times, haven't we, where we've gone abroad and been rattled out by spinners and been bamboozled on spinning tracks. But England are doing okay.
2: They are, aren't they? They are. They're really doing okay. I'm going to put a couple of caveats our way. Uh, they've won the toss and batted. I know you'll say that they did that against India as well. The difference here is, I think if Sri Lanka were going to get on top of England, they needed to get pitches that really ragged. Do you remember back in Bangladesh, Yes. in the two-test series before the uh, the India series, the Bangladeshis took the view, let's make it a... Pitches turned really early. Poor old Ben Duckett got that first ball in Test Cricket. It turned a mile. Uh, Welcome to Test Cricket. Thank you very much. Having virtually never faced a a new ball spinner. And uh, Gaul, they haven't done that. I think if they had done that, then... We might have been looking at a slightly different game because they've got some good spinners here. I think there's a reason he's retiring. I don't think he's quite the same bowler. I think he's got quite the same bite to his bowling, as you'd expect when he's 40. Dilru and Pereira, I think, are a very fine bowler. They've got some mystery spin up to a point, but England have been fortunate to win that toss and get it in the best conditions, really, of the pitch when they bat it. What I was very intrigued by was the way they approached the game Ritush um, Dantharaj wrote a very interesting piece. Grumpy old sods like me were waking up yet again on the first day and going, what are they doing? Throwing their wickets away like this. You know, we saw Keaton Jennings getting bowled cutting of all but bold legs dump. We saw Stokes going right across his thumbs then getting bold around his legs and you know the root dancing down the wicket to Harath and thought well, yeah they're being positive but they're being over positive. You know, can't they realise that once you've had the counter attack, you then gotta you can then dig in a bit more. And lots of ex players were all saying this. Well Vish was saying, well, actually England have decided that they're gonna they're gonna come at the Sri Lankans. Everybody knows that Gaul Or at least the theory is always that you get your runs early against that newer ball. And they were trying to rattle the Sri Lankans. And even if the tactic didn't quite work off 113 for five, it showed that they'd thought about and learned from their experiences in the subcontinent. And I thought that was a very fair point. And then, let's be honest, there was some brilliant batting from Joss Butler, that partnership. When, it, when, he, when he started, he started the recovery with Ben Folkes that partnership. And then Sam Curran coming in at number eight. He's got to be the best number eight. Andy Zoltzman's been hurling us crazy facts about that. He's got over 28 times or something in his first 10 innings. And no one ever does that. He's batting down, that's certainly not batting down at number eight. And, of course, Ben Folks himself, who batted absolutely superbly. A guy who's played a lot of cricket in Sri Lanka. And maybe we're seeing just a little bit there of the fruits of all those Lions tours. You know, he's had five different tours to Sri Lanka in various guises, either with the Lions or playing club cricket. So he knows his uh, Sri Lankan conditions.
1: And they they are strategic with those these days, aren't they? Because we we saw the Lions, well, the tail end of the Lions tour out in Barbados um, in March. And obviously, they're out in the Caribbean in the new year. So that, you know, they do Get the young lads out there so that when they're needed they're conversant with the conditions and ready to go.
2: They are. And you know, we we give the E C B an awful lot of stick, mostly around administration, it has to be said, rather than on the playing side of things. But on that front, they've done they've done they've made some good choice, they've made some good selections, they've got some good planning going on. And the other part of it is, gotta say it, that Sri Lanka's batting in that first inning's let's see how they get on. Uh, across the rest of the series, they may improve. But in that first innings, it was a bit like England's, wasn't it? And they don't have Sangakar anymore. They don't have Jaya Wardner. There's a lot of concern for Sri Lankan cricket that they've relied a lot on big-name players like them, Dilshan, Malinga, Murali. These sort of, I say once in a generation, they seem to have two of them in each generation, don't they? Like <laughs> some Malinga and Murali and Jaya Wardner and Sangakar and Dilshan. But their batting just doesn't feel as strong. That said, they might have just had a bad day at the office. And England's spin bowlers bowl well, and they were backed up with impeccable fielding. And England didn't drop a catch in that first innings, and folks looked the real deal behind the stump. So it's, look, we've had three days, haven't we? And England's, apart from the very first session, have pretty much nailed every other session. They've batted sensibly and then commandingly, and then taken the game by the scruff of the neck, and they've done nothing wrong. I, I suppose I'm i as surprised as you are, but I would my major caveat, James, is that I think India at home are a magnificent team. I mean, genuinely, you can compare them with what it'd be like playing the West Indies at home in the 80s. I don't know how you're going to beat them with the power in their batting and the way their spinners are perfectly attuned to their conditions. And I don't think Sri Lanka are. I think they're a team that have lost um, some great, great players and have yet actually to replace them. So we might just be playing them at the right time but I don't want to take anything away from the performance
1: it's been great isn't it it has been fantastic and I'm going to admonish you a little bit because you you read out your list of lower middle order successes Adal Rashid as well the Yorkie he uh, chipped in with a few runs as well so don't forget him
2: yes of uh, course of course I'm sorry I'm sorry I should have done I should have done because <laughs> actually that counter-attacking knot was vital wasn't it with folks because at 250 odd for 7 you know they could have folded for, for 280 perfectly easily and he really I mean he's an impossible kind of bowler what I, I, he really reminds me of a bit weirdly he's been that reminds me of Alan. Knott. he's sort of. I
1: understand he's, where you come from.
2: Yeah. You know, weird angles. He's got these odd angles. Mm. These great wrists. He has. He has a bit of a Dhoni helicopter shot, doesn't he? Over mid-wicket? Yes. But then he also manages to manufacture these balls behind square. I think if you're bowling to Rashid, it must be infuriating. And you, you only really clock these things when you're when you're doing the programme, you know, when, when you're commentating and stuff. Ten first class hundreds and five hundred first class wickets. Too many people nowadays yeah. have done
1: that. I was going to say that I, th- I don't think England in, at test level have seen the best of Rashid with the bat because he's always down at nine or ten in the order. So he comes in as a tail ender. Yeah, you know, he's more than capable. Probably in another test side, he'd be at number seven. Um, but yeah. because you've got the strength of, well, all of our wicket keepers basically above him, he, he gets shunned down the order, doesn't he? But he, every now and again, he comes out and, and has a little cameo. And, uh, you know, he's a very, very good little player. Just going back towards England's uh, top order. Rory Burns is a man that you've seen a lot of. I've been very impressed with Rory Burns. The, the little snippets I've seen of him, I think he looks the real deal. You could say he's been a little bit unlucky in his first Test match. He obviously, he caught down the leg side in the first innings, run out in the second innings. But I think there's a lot more to come from him.
2: I do. It's, uh, you'll excuse me a sorry bias, but actually, that was one of the loveliest nines you'll see on Test David. <laughs> <He just laughs> Beautiful couple of shots the on onside. He looked tremendous against the cricket ball. I think anybody's going to look at it. You know, if, if they've not played top quality spin before, and perhaps and that's not part of their game. I mean, Keaton Jennings, it clearly is part of his game. He- I think Keaton Jennings actually struggles for an opener. Struggles a bit against a, a new fast ball in the way that Rory Burns loves the new fast ball, and Jennings is much much happier with that that slower turning ball. And he's looked superb, hasn't he? Burns, he, he had a tough morning on the third morning against the spinning ball, against the off spinner. But Pereira is bowling well, and it is tough for a left hander facing that. His run out was unfortunate. I wonder if he. He'd forgotten that Harath had moved a couple of balls before, because that was an easy single to Harath, the roly-poly left arm spinner. It, it was a brilliant piece of fielding from Karuna Ratner and um yeah, he'll, he'll be kicking himself he'll be really annoyed but they're going to give him aren't they the, the rest of series you'd imagine they'd be crazy not to well, so I saw Simon so Hughes
1: on your there. um your social um, oh. basically suggesting that he was uh, taken out the side now and uh, <laughs> so, was it pesto brought in as an opener or somebody else brought in as an opener I, I, well, I just can't see the logic in that you, if you bring somebody in I think England have in the past been guilty far too much of chopping and changing very quickly I personally would have given them live a few more test matches probably a few more of the openers a few more test matches but yes. the step up from county level 2 international cricket is a vast one, isn't it? And you need to give people a little bit of time. And hopefully we're seeing that now with Keaton Jennings, aren't we? With under a lot of pressure coming into this first test match in Sri Lanka and the lad's done well. Forty odd, 146 in the in the second innings. Yeah, hopefully this is the catalyst for him to, to move on from to greater things.
2: Yeah, well I hope so. The thing with Jennings is I'm I'm gonna keep my I'm gonna be reserved on Jennings until I see him didn't do it Wednesday in Stoke, no. Until I see him yeah. do it against quick bowling which is an opener's bread and butter. You know, his first class average is about 34. Burns' first class average is well into the 40s and the reason for that is that, that Burns, I think, is a better new ball batsman in English conditions uh, against
1: and, fast bowling. And also, he plays a lot of his a vast proportion of his innings on a, a very batting-friendly oval track, whereas well, Keaton Jennings has played the majority of his innings at Chesley Street and at Old Trafford, which is harder. Was,
2: people say that, I mean, that the oval this year it was a there was a lot of results at the Oval this year. They, they won most of their games at the Oval. I'm trying to think of the draw. If there was a draw at the Oval even. So you know the pitches have changed a bit, and he had a very good season this season. He averaged kicking on for seventy odd, didn't he? So you can make too much of that. The Oval pitch is the sort of pitch that he'll play in Test cricket. When he, you know the Oval pitch is a Test match pitch after all. And what we want is people who've got the temperament to dig in and play long innings. And if he's going to play in a Test team he's got playing on test match pitches so he plays at Old Trafford at Lords you know they're not that dissimilar are they plenty of runs in, in English test pitches it's tricky though still against the moving Duke sport and he was getting a lot of those runs in April and May and September which is when every other opener has been struggling struggling in the games they're playing against Surrey let's be very clear about that so the thing with Jennings is well, I Strongly suspect, watching him in those two innings, he looks fantastic against spin. His game is set up for it. I half wonder if he is an opening batsman. Do you know what I mean? I mean, looking at him, he doesn't look to me, actually, like the new ball is the uh, a fast new ball is the one he should really be facing I well, wonder if, if he's if
1: he, actually if he's, a number
2: four
3: you if, know?
1: He's, if he's not an opening batsman we've got a problem because we've, we've been looking for well, one for uh, ages my next question to you is have we actually finally found our opening pair because after Alistair Cook obviously went in the summer a lot of talk about well flipping that. we've been looking for a partner for him and now he's gone as well I was expecting Jennings and, and Burns to take a long time to maybe form that partnership they obviously haven't done it yet
2: but well, they got their put on 60 odd didn't they in that second innings um, Um, Could they be the two, though? They could be. They could be. It's so hard trying to read the runes from a series in Sri Lanka, though, isn't it? I mean... Mm. Sri Lanka have gone into the side with one seamer. <laughs> you know, blackmail in the series against South Africa, albeit a short one, I, I think bowled fewer overs in the entire series than he bowled in the first nine overs of this match. Yeah. that uh, There are only six, uh, six overs a seam or something bowled. Uh, so when we're watching the Sri Lanka series, I think we've always got to be mindful that let's not try to get ahead of ourselves and answer too many questions. What we're wanting them to do here is answer the question of whether they can play in Asia against good quality spin and if they can do that, great. Now it could be a very different question saying do we have an opening partnership that can face up to uh, South Africa's magnificent pace attack in South Africa Australia's magnificent pace attack in Australia or indeed either of those pace attacks in England with a Duke's ball. Those are very very different questions and I don't think we'll necessarily get the answers to that by watching the Sri Lanka series. What we might do though is I think we might we might start to get a better idea of what the balance of England's side can be home and away. And, you know, in Sri Lanka, England have gone in there with three spinners. They're not going to do that in England, are they? So I, we have found ourselves in, in the, the beam on the cricket social constantly asking the question, what is England's team, you know, come the Ashes or come even West Indies or even come the Candy Test match, Because they might not play three spinners at Candy. It's a more team-friendly environment. If you remove a spinner, which one do you remove? Surely not Moeen Surely not He's the one who's taken four wickets Surely not Jack Leach Surely not Adult Rashid So we don't know which spinner Gets left out In England They're definitely not going to play Three spinners So which ones do you leave out Then you've got the issue How do you get Wokes Broad And Bairstow Back into this England team
1: Thank you so much for listening to the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast. Your feedback has been both encouraging and very, very welcome. Our listeners are growing week on week. The podcast is now available on Spotify, Audio Boom, iTunes, YouTube and all major platforms. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on at cricket underscore badger. Email the show cricketbadger at hotmail.com. Respond to the points made. Make suggestions for future content and play your part as the Cricket Budget Radio Show podcast goes from strength to strength. We're having a chat about um, on Twitter, actually on my Twitter feed earlier on today about how do you bring Berstow back in? If Birstow's fit for the second yeah. test match, surely you, you play him. And if you do... Well, how on earth do you fit yeah. him in? Because Ben Folks, and we'll talk about him now, and I'll, I'll allow you to be as biased as you want. Because yeah. basically, I in love. I mean, love with Ben Folks. Um, 107 <laughs> in that first innings, uh, and then he played really well in the second innings as well. He looks the real deal. He can keep. He can bat. He looks level-headed. He's got every single attribute you need to be successful in Test cricket, and he's show, showcased all of that in this Test match at uh, at Gulls. So you know, it, he he looks absolutely nailed on to be wicketkeeper, batsman, all the way through this series. Joss Butler's obviously in the side as well. Good wear the gloves. Johnny Bairstow comes back in. Well, how do you reshuffle that?
2: I do not know. And I'll tell you now, it's not just Surrey men uh, and women, and it's not just Essex folk. Uh, people have been banging on about Ben folks. Anybody's played against him, anybody you've seen him, Live has said time and time again, this man is the best keeper in the country by a mile. And there's no disrespect to Johnny Besto, or Josh Butler. Johnny has made himself a really good keeper. He's done nothing wrong. But Ben, folks, is, is a different he's different gravy. I mean, it, he's, he's so fluent. He's so natural. The two, the stumping and the catch that he took, people yeah. will say, well, he should have, he should have got those. I, I tell you, there aren't many keepers or any keepers out there who would do it with such... A minimum of fuss. He took that stumping. The guy was stumped by a mile. I can see Johnny or Joss affecting that stumping, but there's always going to be a bit of hesitation. He'd be slightly unsighted. That ball was drifting in on middle and off. Batsman sort of in the way. It spun sharply. Folks had his hands coming towards the ball, whip the bales off that, that little edge of the left hand of that that deviating he could never looked like dropping it. There was only one ball that didn't go safely into his gloves, uh, either from fielders throwing in. I was watching intently. Either from fielders throwing in or from balls that were taken. And it was one wild ball that Rashid flung down the leg side, which folks, you know, he, he parried and they didn't get a bye. He's absolutely glorious. And we've been saying for yonks, anybody will listen. Folks balances the team. He allows you then to play six batsmen, keeper, four bowlers, in the safe and certain knowledge that of those six batsmen, one of them Stokes anyway. So you've got your all rounder. You've got you've got the perfect. It's the perfect lineup, isn't it? It's the one that every every cricket fan sort of thinks of. Six batsmen, one of them's a batter. He's also a bowler, keeper, four bowlers. Now, I, as a result, I'm afraid you know I don't know how you you leave him out. <laughs> he's just got a hundred.
1: No, he, can't. And, it wasn't, he can't.
2: and it was no normal 100 was it, it was a really he came in 100, 100 odd for 5 uh, on a turning wicket well, he was, it? It, it was under immense uh, yeah, pressure
1: test, yeah. test match debut under pressure in the match situation I don't think he could have done any better than that, that was, and he was didn't, a superb knock he
2: gave, he gave one chance if you can call it that where he clipped a very very sharp one at, at short leg then in the second innings and this to me is just as important longer term as his first innings when England wanted quick runs because they wanted to set up that declaration that I don't think they should have gone for myself personally, but that's another matter. He came out and, and walloped three sixes and a four. You know, you say that, well, maybe he's, his problem is that he can't do the Josh Butler role or the Johnny Besser or the counter-attack role or the Adam Gilchrist role. Well, he can do that too, can't he? He came in and played a selfless innings, smashed it around. If he can do that too, and he's the best keeper... He has got to play. If he plays, and you can't really fathom or imagine an England team without Jolly Bersto because he
1: feels like one of England's best batsmen in the country, doesn't he? I mean, uh, just as a record, pure batsman, so his test, re- play, test record over the last eighteen months has maybe gone down a little bit, while, his, while his white ball has rocketed but, upwards. But, but, while but he's been keeping But, it, but, he's, to, a, James, but he's a great. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a very good player. I mean, what one of the pro- one of the things I think is that all of these players. Bastow, Butler, and folks, and folks obviously only embryonic in this, but they've all scored runs and looked the real deal at number seven. But when they've been moved further up, they've not necessarily looked quite as good.
2: Okay, well I'll counter that with I'd say Butler at uh, Butler at six. Yeah. Has, um, yeah, has looked great to me, and he's done a good thing for England both this summer and in this Test match. So I, I see him as a six, and I can see folks as Stokes uh, as, as a five. My irritation still resides with Root not being at three, I have to say, because I think he should be England's number three.
1: He's not going to go back to it now, is he?
2: He's not going to go back to it. So if he doesn't go back to it, then Johnny Bairstow, I'm afraid, has got to suck it up and put put his hand in the air and say, OK, I'm your number three or your... Or your opener if you decide. Yeah. You know, if that either Jennings or Burns if they have a slump. So
1: there comes a time, I doesn't know, there, where tough, you've, got, you've, Johnny, got, but... you've got to bite the bullet or you might not be in that side because as we've said, you know, there's so many it's a squad now, isn't it? And there's so many different mm-hmm. permutations that if you if you do have an off three months or something yeah. like that, you could certainly find yourself out of the equation.
2: But don't you think that this is odd that we're having this conversation as if England have an embarrassment to riches because you know, I want to come back briefly to how then do we do you manage the Ashes team? Because you you've already described there a four, five, six, seven um of of Root, Stokes, Butler, folks. Now, dear old Sam Curran is very, very hard to drop. Yeah. But th- is he really the better bet than Chris Wokes?
1: I think or- he is at the moment.
2: I I really but think... in England, but in England, this is the thing. Yeah. In England is a better bet. You might want to play them both. If you then play Curran and you play wokes and you play Moe Nanny because you got you've got to have one spinner in England there's going to be there's got to be space for a spinner is it the end for Stuart Broad couple because of
1: questions sure I'm hold... not
2: getting rid of Jimmy Anderson No, I mean, true. Well, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm saying to you here is that England have got a problem at the top three and then they've got about 10 players that they really want to play between four and 11 and unfortunately cricket doesn't let you do that
1: no couple, couple of questions for you off the back of that wicketkeeper batsman you've got Bairstow we've got Butler we've got folks how do have we got the looks you've been able to play all three if, if not which one misses out
2: well and this is my problem because i mean butler to me was the batsman of the summer and once we've got him playing this way the potential for butler is enormous what, what i see is in butler the future potential of what he can achieve so massive he's england's highest scoring and averaging batsman in the summer so you can't he can't go folks is the best glove man and could be the ideal number seven he can't go best it's down to besto. To change himself, perhaps slightly modify that technique he's got that's made him play, as you were alluding to, all those shots through the offside, tighten up that technique so that he's not driving hard at balls early on in his innings. He got out to a few like that, didn't he, this summer, and put his hand up and say, I've got the ability to be England's number three, and then you can play all three. Now, you've, then you've sort of solved one of those problems. Then it's down to, can you bed down Jennings and Burns, or will they get bedded down? And what on earth do you do? A problem like Stuart Broad, because I don't think Stuart Broad's ready for retirement yet. He's he's, old. he's He's had some moments this summer when he's been in fantastic rhythm. You certainly want him against Australia. You know, he's exactly what he's doing against Australia at home. You certainly want Jimmy Anderson. Yeah, look, England sectors might get a little lucky in that one of Woke's, Curran, Stoke's, Broad and Anderson might be unfit every now and then, so then you don't have to think about it. But I don't see how you get. I don't. I don't know how you get that that selection perfect. And you also, I think, as I said just then, I think you've got to get Johnny, who has really wanted to have the gloves. He really has uh, because it's given him confidence. He, he says in his batting I'm afraid he's going to have to adopt a different mindset whether he yeah. likes it
1: or not I think you're right because I mean I, I, I can't I see how you the, deny folks you I, I, tweet, I tweeted the other day that I mean I've always been a big fan of Besto having the gloves and I couldn't see a way where where he didn't have that role in the side, and as you said, he sees himself as an all-rounder in that role, and it gives him confidence. But having seen folks and having seen what he's capable of, and he could be capable of that for a long time, then Bersto has to basically bite the yeah. bullet and play as a batsman.
2: Do we need to take a step back for a minute? I mean, let's let's imagine this from from Johnny Bersto's point of view. If he was listening to this, yes. is he thinking these daft, wet-eyed pundits? They've said they had one Test match of Ben Folks, he's got beautiful white teeth, he's got lovely blue eyes he's played (laughs) two really good innings against, let's face it, not the best team in the world, Sri Lanka, they're not I know they've got a good record at home and they can come back at me with that, but they're not and they're not the best Sri Lankan team by by a distance that they've been, uh, you know over recent past Um, Folks has pulled off a dreamy stumping, a dreamy catch but they don't know how good my my week keeping is by comparison they're losing their minds on this and that actually uh, we're just leaping to a conclusion after one match there'll be listeners out there who might be thinking that and there'll be Yorkies who might, who might well be thinking that and thinking who's this Surrey Burke the problem is I've seen so much of folks there's a highlights reel that you can find on the Surrey website of Ben fox's catches this season I've seen and that, they're yeah. eye-watering do you know yes. I mean I, I said on Five Live the other day it sounds like virtue signaling but I did kind of mean it actually uh, that he's England Men's cricket. To answer to Sarah Taylor he takes these incredible catches these, it's these like he's got springs ones. in his feet yeah exactly and his anticipation you know he takes his he took out absolute blinder this season when he, he spotted that the little dab was coming he'd gone five yards to his left and then pulled off this stunning one-handed catch um, he's just a natural he moves so well he's like the, the antithesis of MS Doney you know MS yeah. Doney looks like he's sort of on a wire and he, and he you know he, he sort of leans from one side to the other throws out a glove and yet somehow it manages to stick you know he, he's the most static successful wicketkeeper you will ever see in your life folks just glides from side to side it, and you barely notice how he's done it he's just in the right place all the time the only thing that could undo him is if he's, his batting has a blip you know, I mean, we've seen him against an older ball, against a not the perfect spin attack, albeit on a turning pitch. He scored a lovely hundred. Maybe we are jumping to conclusions. if And if he played or against, you know, a the Duke's ball in England. It would go so well, but I'm afraid I've got to counter that by saying I've seen a lot of him in Division 1, uh, both home and away, and he's he average over 40. There aren't many people. As I think he's one of three players in England side with a first-class average of over 40, which is a damning indictment of some of the other guys. Yeah? But it's, it's basically, or is it, four people? It's burns, Root. Does best average over 40? He might, he might not, and folks, and none of the others do. So, you know, he's got the pedigree. It's number I'm I'm, I'm, I'll stand by it. I think folks could be England's wicketkeeper batsman for 10 years.
1: If Johnny Burster was listening to this, I would say to him, you wouldn't have had a better advocate for for your career than the cricket badger over the last few years. As a Yorkshire fan primarily, always had his back, always thought that he was definitely the wicketkeeper batsman for Test cricket over Joss Butler. But in the current situation, I think he needs to think about what's best for the team. And what's best for him. And the biggest compliment I could pay him is I've got no doubt that he can score, shed loads of runs at number three, and keep his test place for a long time as a batsman. And you know, if, if you're good enough to do that, then take that opportunity and keep yourself in that England side.
2: Well, I would, I would second that. And I, I think that would be, I think that would be brilliant for English cricket as well, because I think uh, it'd be brilliant for English cricket, would be brilliant for test cricket, because there are very few brilliant government out there uh, test cricket has, has lacked though since the likes of Gilchrist, Healy, healy russell understandably we moved into an era of a batsman who can keep matt prior ended up being a very good wicket keeper but he'll tell you when he first started he, he wasn't picked because he was the best wicket keeper and i just think it'd be wonderful to have a, a great government back they're a wonderful site they, they do things for teams that you you can barely notice. It. I'm not saying for one minute that Bearstow's not a great club, but there's something, just that little indefinable extra that Folks has got. It's like there's you
1: say, ch- Bester's worked so hard at keeping. I mean, I've seen him practicing, and I've, you know, he has worked massively hard at that because he wasn't necessarily the best natural keeper when he first started out either, and he's turned himself into an international quality wicketkeeper. But on the on the basis of what I've seen of Folks. Folks is a better keeper at the moment. And you yeah, surely and what England you surely need. play your better keeper.
2: And what England needs is a top three, because if we're gonna be brutally honest, you know, cricket is a team game and England have got three very serviceable international keeper batsmen. I mean I say three, there's probably more, but just in this squad alone in Folks Best O Butler. So what does England need? England needs a top three. That's that is still a glaring problem. They were ten for two again, they were five down for a hundred odd 103 it's happening time and time and time again when is going to be the day when there are 120 for one you know england yeah. fans must just yearn for 120 for one and when they had cook strauss bell peterson collingwood you know trot crucially trot of course at three then that top three looked so solid it allowed the likes of matt prior to make hay and and do great things yeah.
1: If you've been following the be at cricket underscore badge, your Twitter feed, and if you're not, why not? You'll know that we've been searching for the greatest ever player from particular countries. Imran Khan took the award for Pakistan. Ian Botham was the greatest ever England cricketer. Sashington Volker for India. Gary Sobers for the West Indies. And unsurprisingly, it was Sir Don Bradman that took that award for Australia. But stay tuned, because we'll soon be opening the voting to find the greatest ever new zealand cricketer who is the best kiwi of all time get your votes in make them count and at the end of the entire process when we know who is the greatest from each country the top four from each nation will go forward for the greatest ever cricketer of all time
2: One thing that really, really needs is for Joe Root to come in with a score on 120, and then he can he can score those hundreds that have been eluding him. It, I have to take, and I'm conscious of this is I don't want this to turn into a Surrey v Yorkshire thing. Because it's not intended to at all.
1: I'll but, take I'll take you um, on.
2: <laughs> I think Joe Root. You'll know that I think Joe Root is is the best batsman I've seen in, in for England in my lifetime. Just a man who's never looked out of form. I just think he's a, just an incredibly good batsman. But at the moment. There's something going on in his head, which I can't quite fathom. Um, he gets frustrated too quickly. you know. If you watch him not get a single when he thinks he should have done, he gets annoyed with himself because his trademark is he's able to, because he can so well, push these little singles into the gaps between backward point and cover, you know, between cover and extra. You, you know what I mean? He's always turning the strike over always so fluent and just of late there's been something in this game that just looks a little bit rushed um and I just want him calm down now I wonder if he's a bit rushed because yet again he's coming in at 10 for two and I' not tell I' blame him frank do, do, do you know I think that... Four, you that before you were
1: I, yep. I I think he's um it goes back to what you're saying about this mindset with the England team of having to be on the front foot all the time not not physically but in terms of yeah. taking yeah. the attack to the opposition and I think obviously Ruti is the premier batsman in the side and as captain these days he sees that he should be setting the tone and he should be taking it to them and, and, and making sure that um, England are attacking I, I think sometimes you have to it's a five-day test match you know, you've got all five days at your disposal yeah. sometimes you have to if it's not quite coming off the middle of the bat rein yourself in for 10 overs and still be there
2: well, I'm <laughs> going to tell you a stat about route that is for me his best quality, his very very best quality. I was sent a brilliant tweet by uh, a, 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 a thing we called data miners, something like that. M I N E R S, and it was people's score, people's average score after they got out for single figures. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, now, I'll tell you now, that the top of the top of the tree is a Surrey man, Sir Jack Hobbs, who averaged 94 in innings after he got out for single figure. So whenever he got out for anything under 10, he'd take his next score and average it up. He was out 12 times for under 10, which is a miracle in itself. as an opening bat, isn't it? How much would we love that? Uh, right at the bottom is another Surrey man. So I'm giving with the one and taking with the other, Mark Ramprakash. And that doesn't seem that surprising when you think about it, does it? Because it, this is about sort of mental resilience in a way. You get out for under 10. He averaged 15 whenever he got out for under 10. So, you know, preying on his mind, trying really hard. Second on the list is Joe Root. When he gets out under 10, he averages 66 in innings after that because he has a wonderful quality, or he has had in his career, of when he gets out, I think back to when he got out for 70-odd against, was it Pakistan, and he got out caught, And he was furious with himself, absolutely furious, because yet again he failed to make it the three figures. Next game, he was so determined... To make it the three figures, he got that double hundred. And you could see him reining himself in. He's got it in him to do it. He wasn't captain, I don't think, at that point. And I think he was able just to concentrate on his own game and play his own way. In a way, slightly selfishly. But when batsmen play selfishly, it's good for the team, isn't it? And often, as we know. And I just want him to get back to that. I want him... After he gets a failure, to do that thing which he's always been so good at, which is to learn from his mistake and come back twice the batsman. Do you know what I mean? And at the moment, my fear is that for the last year since he's been captain, because he wants to lead from the front, all the things that you've been talking about, get England onto the front foot. I just wanted to get a bit more selfish and yeah. say, do you know what? When I go out to bat this time, I'm going to bat for J. E. Root because I bet when he does that it will get 100, and it'll be for the vast improvement of the England team. Because they've got, especially if they keep with someone like Folks and Butler, the way Butler's batting at the moment, hugely intelligently batting the situation, they've got the ballast to bat with him further down the order. Just want him in there. Because then you're really starting to see a powerful England batting line-up. And instead of us talking about top-order collapses, we can start revelling in run-fests
1: You by imagine Root if that with... if that top-order fired, we'd be scoring oh. 900 every Test match. It'd be ridiculous. Yeah. I'll read you about some of these first-class stats. 170 yeah. matches, 11,117 runs, high score of 246, average of 45.19. Do you think that person would be good enough to bat at number three for England? That's Johnny Bairstow's stats.
2: Yes. he Well, he ought to be, oughtn't he? I mean that is that's exactly what you're looking for because if you look at England's qualified cricketers at the moment, that there aren't many. You're averaging 45, I tell you. I mean Rory Burns, as I said earlier, is one of the very few people on the county circuit averaging over 40. Somerset fans are going to come shouting at me with James Hildreth, and they're absolutely right. He's one of the most wronged men in English cricket, but I'm afraid that ship has sailed. So <laughs> yes, you're right. I mean Johnny ba- Johnny Bairstow. Um, Hampshire fans might say. What about James Vince? But, you know, when Johnny Bairstow had that annus Mirabilis when he was keeping got more runs than any other keeper 2016, wasn't it? Yeah. He just looked a terrific batsman. Just terrific batsman. And then and you see him in white ball cricket, I know it's different, but demolishing attacks. You just think this guy's potential, this, guy is, this guy's the limit. He could... Can- he could be exactly what England need. It's just about clear thinking, both I think, from the management crucially, and Bearstow himself. And maybe if Bearstow is forced by the performances of someone like folks or folks, specifically not someone like folks folks, to accept that there is this guy who is a terrific batsman and a terrific keeper, and this is to himself for it. Where do England need me? They need me at three. Then I think he, I think he'd crack it because he's cracked every other challenge in his cricketing life. So why wouldn't he crack that one?
1: Absolutely. Um, another man who I have a lot of time for, Gary Balance, um, averages forty-seven in first-class cricket, but I think his ship's yes. probably sailed as well. But uh, I, I was always a believer that he could, if they'd actually shown him a little bit of love, actually made, uh, made something of that um, number three role for England. But maybe it's too late. Yes, I'm, I agree uh,
2: with you there. Yeah. Well, you say it's too late. It's never too too late, is it? We saw Joe Denny get back in England, set up at 32. You never know. There's there's injuries. There's if he has a monster season for Yorkshire as well. You know, you, it's never too late. It's nice to have a a bloke who's got that kind of quality and that kind of experience.
1: So, somebody of my small brain always likes to see the Stokes. Folks and potentially wokes <laughs> on the scorecard. It's just a, of course you do. It's, <laughs> a, it's just a shame that John Noakes <laughs> passed away, isn't it? Because he could have, he could have made it in there as well. But uh, yeah, it, it's, well maybe it's, he's it's maybe, nice,
2: maybe, maybe that was maybe that was a hoax. I don't know. He <laughs> might still be around. <laughs> um, it is a it, it, it is a shame. Yeah, or, uh, it, it, I think it might yeah happen. Stokes, folks Wokes, because uh, I think I have to say I think Wokes in England is a terrific player, an absolutely brilliant, brilliant bowler. His hundred this season as well. Not yes. many people scoring a hundred, were they? I I feel for for Wokes, but we we've, we've been discussing a lot actually the idea that why shouldn't England have a a sort of you know horses for courses approach? We expect England to play more than one spinner when they go. at to Asia why shouldn't they why, why does why does not play Wokes abroad where well, he manifestly struggles he struggled in South Africa struggled in Australia he struggled in Asia but he's been brilliant in England when you've got as many different options as Stokes Wokes Curran, Broad, Anderson, and who knows what other fast bowlers yet to come, the likes of Ollie Stone, what have you? Why why isn't it perfectly reasonable to pick him in English conditions but leave him out in subcontinental conditions? And you, also let's not it, forget makes total do sense. You, do you think I mean I don't know, this is no scoop or anything, but do you think that a handsome man like Stuart Broad, who's already started working for Sky, is gonna be playing beyond next summer's ashes? He might do. I mean, he's he's fit enough too, isn't he? He's capable enough of doing it. But would you be enormously surprised if Stuart Broad, looking at what he's got left to achieve at the end of the 2019 Ashes, when there's a lovely seat there for him at Sky TV, would you be surprised if he turned around and said, you know, guys, thanks a lot. I've had a great time. I've, had four, I've got 460 wickets. I've got 3,000 plus test runs. I'm not in the one-day side. I'm not playing T20. I don't want to hang around for two and a half years before going back out to Australia for the Ashes. I might hang up my boots at which point things you know get a little bit different don't they?
1: It might be a little bit different in his head as if Jimmy Anderson wasn't still adding more test wickets to his tally if Jimmy Anderson y- was from yes. a decade ago and and he'd got that target of maybe being the best England bowler ever that would give you a motivation to carry on but that target just yeah. kept going further away does not it in a way?
2: And I wouldn't be at all surprised He said conversely as I've I've said that about, about Stuart Broad and people will shout hang on Jimmy Anderson's older than Stuart Broad I wouldn't be surprised conversely if he's if he keeps fit if Jimmy Anderson if you see Jimmy Anderson actually play in the ashes in 3 years time in Australia because I don't think he's happy about his last experience in Australia mm-hmm. having been a, a 4-0 loss and I think he's got some unfinished business there to do and, and I know it sounds crazy but Jimmy Anderson is a unique physical specimen and I don't think there's any he has any interest in retiring at all. And I'm not saying for one minute that Stuart Broad does, right? And Stuart Broad this would probably say, you, Burke, what the hell do you know about what I'm thinking? I'm just putting it out there that if uh, you were going to ask me which one might retire before the other, I think it might be Broad goes before Anderson. And I think partly because Let's look at the selection for this test match. Broad's not playing, in a way, because of Sam Curran, isn't Mm. he? Because Sam Curran's batting is going to make the difference. Let's face it, he's bowled bowled six overs in the first innings. He's bowled one over in the second so far. He might do a bit more bowling tomorrow, but he won't, you know, it's not going to be key. He's there because of his batting, the sort of batting that we thought Stuart Broad was going to be able to produce when we saw him early on in his career. Well, clearly that's not going to happen anymore. Stuart Broad's not going to become that kind of batsman I don't think he's got the motivation to try to resurrect him and become that kind of batsman so as he looks around and sees the likes of Wokes and Curran and he knows that England you know, are going to play a spinner where does that leave Stuart Broad in the future is it is it maybe the right time to start thinking and I think he might be yeah, I wouldn't blame him let's put it that way I wouldn't blame him if he started thinking and then that might start to make our conversations a little bit different because then you are sort of envisaging quite possibly something as as mad, you know, as I don't know who bats at 10. I don't know who bats at 10 in that lineup, James. I haven't got a clue. But <laughs> you've got Anderson at 11, and your number 10 could be any of Moeen Alley. Sam Curran and Chris Wokes.
1: We've never really Work had the search out. for the number ten and the number eleven in the England side, have we? It's usually been the openers that we've been looking for. I'll tell you That's what though, Dan. You know, Curran obviously brings the left arm thing as well, doesn't he? Which gives you a bit of variety in that attack. But yeah, you know, going through on the fiftieth edition of the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast, and we're looking through all of these permutations and all of these names and how to shoehorn these players into that England eleven. It's not a bad situation to be in, is it? You know, if you're if you're a selector, you've got plenty to choose from at the moment.
2: It's terrific. It really is. It is. The the madness of it all is that if you're objective about it, England don't feel like they're anything like the best team in the world. And yet we're talking about having a potentially the best 4-11. to 11. It's that top three. That, that's all it is. I mean, Jonathan Agnew, I've heard, suggest get get Chris Wokes to open. He's got the best technique there is. George DeBell said to me two years ago, only half in jest, that Chris Wokes is the best batsman at Warwickshire. A Warwickshire that includes Bell and Trot. It is a good place for England to find themselves. But I'm very conscious of the fact that it might seem rather mirthful to our overseas listeners, uh, Pakistanis or Indians or Australians or South Africans listening to this, they seem to make out they've got the best team in the world, they've got the embarrassment, the riches and yet they're always 10 for 2 and they're always 90 for 4 and they'd have a good point so sometimes you just need to sort of, need to rein ourselves in.
1: I'll tell you um, what Dan for for listeners uh, on the subcontinent and elsewhere, it won't be long before you're back on and we're talking about the woes of not having an opening pair and all the rest of it again so we do lurch from being very Positive to very negative about stuff. <laughs> we do. That's the
2: English way, though, James, isn't it? I mean, that's and, and that's also the joy of cricket and the joy of sport because what's a wonderful thing about the England team is that they continue to give you hope. They, they often let you down, but their performances at home mean that you're always believing this this away series they're going to crack it. And they've got some terrifically exciting cricketers. I mean, just to think that England are probably among the most exciting teams out there because of the, the way their batsmen bat. Baersto, Root, Stokes. Butler Curran Moeen Ali I mean they're, they're, it's, it's not boring is it, it is not, it's not and, boring to watch
1: and we've not even mentioned the fact that we're going to win the World Cup in 2019 either so that's, that's
2: yeah, a, we're the best, best one day team in the world for what's a whole different on, podcast.
1: Um <laughs> thank you very much Dan Norcross for being uh, my guest on the 50th edition of the Cricket Badger Ready Show podcast 50 weeks from now you're on for the 100th oh I can't
2: wait well, congratulations to you too James it's been a thorough joy I've really enjoyed it and uh, I
1: always listen in it's
0: the- Style.
1: Thank you very much to Dan for joining me. It's always a pleasure to speak to Norkers. hope he enjoyed his bath. And now we'll turn our attention to Ryan Higgins, one of the young talents coming through the county scene, had a fantastic 2018 season, taking wickets, scoring his first first-class century, having a lot of success in the one-day arena. Here's Ryan taking on this week's Cricket Badger Quick Questions.
0: It's that Badger style.
1: Ryan Higgins, great pleasure to welcome you to the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast. How are you?
3: Yeah, all good, thanks. Yeah all good just enjoyed some time off of cricket I suppose and yeah looking forward to getting into training next week
1: is that is that the right way of phrasing it looking forward to getting into it or are you you're just keen to get going again
3: yeah just keen to get going um, obviously fitness testing coming up yeah maybe look forward to it. it's not exactly the best word for it but yeah no it should be good
1: and you had a, a, a terrific season last year didn't you you moved from Middlesex obviously and down to the uh, the west country and and really did start to put some good stats together you must have enjoyed 2018
3: yeah, it was a um, really good year for me. Um, good year for the club as well, sort of going forward in the T20s and stuff like that. But yeah, no, it was it was a very exciting year for me. Obviously, I suppose a breakthrough year in terms of all formats. And yeah, no complaints from my end about the season.
1: And you're the brave fellow that's opted to take on the Cricket Badger Quick Questions this week. I'll start off with the first one. If not a cricketer, Ryan, what would you have done with your life?
3: I have no idea. Um <laughs> I suppose it, it would have been something in sport. You know, I, I really enjoy all sports as much as I don't really follow a certain team. It would have been something in sports. I'm not 100% sure what though.
1: Who or what has been the biggest influence on your career?
3: Probably my dad. You know, he's always the guy throwing balls to me and, and helping me out whenever I needed. So yeah, probably my dad.
1: Who was your hero as a child? As
3: a child, it was um, probably Kevin Pearson. Um, and as I've grown older, I probably quite liked Michael Hussey a bit more.
1: (laughs) two quite contrasting cricketers those two aren't they One, one's quite flashy the other one's a little bit more probably not the right phrase but dependable
3: well I suppose as I got older I sort of um, yeah I, I started going towards more that side of Michael um, car See, I'm not sure 100% why I suppose when I was younger you do quite you, you know you you're attracted by the flashy sort of players and, and that kind of thing yeah
1: you're 23 years old now you, you turn 24 um, in a couple of months time don't you but uh, what's been your best moment in cricket so far?
3: Probably individually scoring my first first class 100 team wise probably enjoyed the quarter final this year for Gloucestershire against Worcester and actually the process of getting there and all that
1: and looking at your stats Ryan you know you've got uh, 19 first class appearances 24 list A 51 T20s there is that how you see yourself as a T20 player is that just how the modern game's going?
3: Well I think just as a, um, when I was when I first started my career I think I played more list well li- obviously there's more 2020s in a year than list A cricket when I was younger I probably played I, I, I've played more List A and T20s. I'd only played four first-class games up to this year. So yeah, I suppose that's just that's just the way it was at Middlesex. I played more one-day. And- and 2020 cricket for them and I think I suppose that will hopefully start to change towards more the longer format and T20s I think just the way the format's run you play less actual 50 over cricket um, compared to 4 day cricket and T20 cricket
1: um, You still yeah, see the f- first class game as being important TD?
3: Uh, the first class game the most important game I think all the other stuff comes around that purely because a first class game can develop you into the cricketer that you want to be whether that ends up being T20 thing. I think you can't get there without first-class
1: cricket. Born in Harare, um, obviously got a very English accent there. I was listening to Keaton Jennings doing his interview earlier, I spoke to Keaton last year, and he's still got a very much a South African accent. But uh, if you progressed and your career goes forward, would it be to play for England, or would you play for Zimbabwe? No, I,
3: I have no aims to play for Zimbabwe. Um, all my aims is to play for England, and to be fair, probably always have been from when I moved over to England, and sort of England, you know, gave me an opportunity to live here and become a part of the culture and all that kind of stuff you know somewhere to call home so yeah always always England since I moved here.
1: What was your worst moment in cricket?
3: Worst moment in cricket? 2015 um, I'd been away in Sydney for the winter I probably didn't work as hard as I should have uh, worst moment I had been dropped from Middlesex first team for the T20s and this A cricket and then when I got picked again I think I got I got I think I got a duck I can't remember it how many balls but it was a it was a pretty horrendous duck and that was probably my lowest point within cricket
1: and does that experience going forward in the, in the winters and what have you make you work harder remembering that
3: yeah I don't think I've ever let my foot off the, off the um, I suppose accelerator since I make sure I sort of work as hard as I can and put, it, put in the time that I know no, I actually need to, so that when I get to a game, I can just I can just relax and enjoy the game.
1: Part of the process, isn't it, to make those worst moments actually work for you, I guess, in, in, in many ways. Um, if you could trade yep. lives with any current cricketer, live in their skin for 24 hours, who would you like to pick?
3: Probably Virat Kohli.
1: And is that because you'd like to be as good as him? A few people have chosen him in the past. Some have picked him because he's amazing and he, and you can, yep. he can play any shot and play any format. Some have picked him because they'd, they'd like to see what it'd be like to be a kind of living legend in India, which is cricket craze, isn't it? Yeah,
3: I think the reason I'd pick Virat Kohli is, is I, I follow him a lot on social media. And from that, I think you can get a glimpse of how hard he works, the amount of time he puts into it. You just get that glimpse. I would love to know exactly how much he puts in and how much, what it takes, you know, the preparation, the, you know, the, to actually become India captain and to, and to do the things he's done and to take that side you know because he's not probably just done it for himself he's probably just pushed the people around him and to actually yeah. see yeah to see that that side of it and then obviously the other things you know the fun stuff the lifestyles you know all that kind of stuff
1: people that are living geniuses they're not there by accident are they they're there through hard work and blood sweat and tears
3: no exactly I think everyone ha- you know it might be a, a nice idea to think that you know Virat Kohli is this and Virat Kohli is that and, and obviously he's got the talent and he's got the ability but I would like to think that I can imagine he's put in probably more hours than anyone on. In terms of cricket, I can imagine he's put in many more hours than anyone else playing the game and that's sort of why he's the best.
2: Discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa. Located on the south coast of Barbados, this beachfront property offers 224 rooms, sparkling pools, 4 restaurants, 3 bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning
1: hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. Who is the best player you've ever shared a cricket pitch with?
3: For me it was probably Brendan McCullum.
1: He's not he's not bad, is he?
3: No, not bad. Yeah. The things he could do were quite freaky at times actually.
1: He was one of the pioneers really when T twenty started to get really popular and people playing strange shots and the, the scoops over the head for six and everything he was one of the first to start doing that wasn't he he was a real pioneer in t20 cricket i think
3: yeah massively i think he sort of led led the way in terms of you know that first IPL game he got that hundred and and you know he's he's always been in in and around the t20 mix but i think as well just his ability you know he played a hundred test matches he those kind of things also um just 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 to show that you can do it all if you you know if you put in the time and and that's I suppose what he did
1: if I was to put you Ryan Higgins in charge of world cricket for a day is there anything you would change about the game what would the one thing you might tinker with
3: tough question but I I think a big thing for me would be trying to trying to get a county structure which which you know worked for everyone Um, I'm not 100% sure what that would look like but I would I would love to sit down and actually put some input into that. That would be one of the things. Um, in terms of world cricket, I would love to see maybe more Test matches played for the for the smaller nations and to see if that would actually improve their cricket.
1: Because they they yeah. get get one-off Test matches here and there, don't they? Rather than the full series.
3: Yeah, exactly. I just I wonder if sometimes you know. Like now that Ireland and Afghanistan have been granted test dates, so I get that there's schedules in place. And I hope that in the future that teams like that, you know, teams like Afghanistan will then end up having, and Ireland will end up having maybe four or five test matches a year um, and sort of have to have to have an international schedule which which um, suits a test playing nation.
1: I did a cricket br- a blueprint for the cricket budget podcast a few weeks ago. I'll Run it past you and see what you think because you talked about changing the the county schedule. There, I'll see what you think to this. Start off obviously at the at the normal time, and we play all of the county championship and all of the fifty over matches in a in a big block. Yep. So so we know the the winners of the county championship by probably the the first week in July. You mm-hmm. pl- you play the fifty over game. Games the day before, or maybe a couple of days before the championship games start, because you draw the 50-over competition into the same divisions as the county championship. So, yeah. for the sake of argument, if Gloucestershire were going to go, we're playing Durham, you'd only have to travel up there once. You play your one-day game, you play your, your county championship game, and then you'd come home, and that would be that ticked off. The yeah. supporters could. Make a week of it. You only have to travel one yeah. one time. So all of yeah. all of that's done and everybody that's a, a big county championship advocate gets to see all of the county championship play properly with the full focus on it all the way through that two or three month period. Yeah. You then go into T twenty mode, that's played in the block you start that you finish it with the finals day everything's done and that all of the focus is on T20 yeah that goes through until uh, into August and then the last few weeks of the season are basically the new competition I'm not an advocate of the 100 I don't think that's I I think we're kind of tampering with things that we don't necessarily have to tamper with but I'd, I'd bring in a T10 competition No country actually has adopted a T-10 competition. Play that over four weeks. You play more than one game at a ground on a day and it's all smash, bang, wallop, all the bells and whistles and that's the kind of fireworks at the end of the season.
3: Yeah, Interesting, interesting concept with the T10 thing. I think because obviously that is would be a different format. I just wonder how that would work in terms of the amount of cricket, be, the amount of different formats being played. Would that mean you'd have to play less championship games? Because obviously to keep the standard of cricket high, you want to trying to make sure you don't play too many games. At, you know, within so. At the moment I think it's sort of a, a three block so you obviously have the championships where there's uh, three different blocks of championships or two different at the start and at the end of the season and I, li- I like I like the idea of playing the championship and the one days alongside of each other because I think then it gives you opportunity and scope for the t20s to really be you know in terms of people coming to watch and stuff I think that that would be really cool.
1: I, I just think the way the way T Twenty works best around the world, and you only have to look at the Big Bash and the IPL, yeah. is when it's played in a in a, in a block with no other distractions, where everybody can just focus on what that competition means, know exactly what each match means, and see yeah, it all through to the see it right through to the the trophy being presented at the end of it. I just think that's the way the way to do it.
3: Yeah, I think that would be that would be awesome. Um rather than sort of having a championship before the final's day or something like that. And yeah, I th- I think that's a really good idea. The t- yeah, again the T10 thing I suppose for me as a player, I think I'd find that tough to have to then do another another format of another, you know, I wonder if three formats is enough, but then, You'd
1: love then again, it. you just go, you just go out there and smash a load of sixes and have a well of a ton
3: Yeah, I, I, it would be good fun. I'm not denying that (laughs) Um, with the 100 ball I think that It's gonna be it's gonna be something that I think from what from what I from what I can gather, I think the players are gonna are gonna really get behind it. A lot, maybe a lot to do with um, the money involved in it. I think because obviously if if the players are getting paid better through the hundred ball, I think it's a it's a no-brainer for the players.
0: Money
1: is always a good motivator, isn't it?
3: Exactly. Whether they actually agree with the the format of the competition, I'm not I'm not 100% sure. I think it's going, to be inter- it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out with, with county guys and how many county guys actually end up getting picked up, whether it's from big counties, small counties, you know, who the coaches are. going to I think it's going to be very interesting to see how how they manage that to make sure that that county coaches aren't just picking players from their county, things like that, I think are going to be very interesting with the hundred ball. I think there's still questions, obviously, that haven't been answered. The players haven't really had answers to. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be the money is obviously going to be a massive motivating factor for a lot of people. And then what's going to be more interesting because they're going to play the T20 Blast well i think it's going to be interesting to see if the 100 ball outperforms the t20 blast which is already an existing one or the other way around
1: i, I think the t20 Blast has gone from strength to strength over the last few years it'd be a shame to yeah. to dilute that product it's a successful product isn't it i, I think it's, the, the it's way i more and more successful every year yeah the, the way i i kind of I think that playing it in a four or five week block or however many days you'd need, you are obviously focusing just on that. Everybody knows where they are. But you also have the added advantage of that you can bring in your overseas players for a smaller chunk because they only have to be here for five weeks rather than, the you know, in seasons gone by when it's been every Friday night, you've had overseas players that have been over here being paid by counties but only playing one day a week it's been a little yeah. bit fragmented and a bit uh, hard for people to understand because I, I always think that you know, you've know you got your hardcore cricket fans who will turn up rain or shine yeah. you want to appeal to this new audience that the ECB keeps talking about you need to make it yeah. as understandable as possible
3: No 100% and also what you were saying there about the county championship that would also make sense for that in terms of overseas players because sometimes the overseas players for the championship are here for 6-7 months and they're only playing 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 10 games. So there's ten weeks of cricket within, actually maybe twenty five weeks of time. So yeah, that also would make sense um, in terms of having the championship in a block as well.
1: I think it's interesting. I, I agree with what you say, though. That I think yeah, more people should be involved in the discussion process about how the the summer looks because yeah, you, know, you as players have your views, journalists mm. have their views, supporters have their views, and they're all worthwhile, aren't they? Everybody sees things from a slightly different angle and sees things in a maybe thinks of things that uh, people that are actually at the coalface now aren't. They? actually maybe even considering. We're always looking for ways on the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast to get you involved. And obviously, this time of year, there is a lot of cricket action being played on an amateur basis. Club cricket around the country is thriving. You're out there scoring your centuries, taking your wickets, achieving your dreams, and then going down the pub to wash away the bad memories. We want to hear from you. We want to pick the Cricket Badger Club Cricketer of the Week. Send your nominations in. If somebody's done something astronomically amazing on your pitch last weekend, It might even be a feat you've got incredible admiration for off the pitch. Let us know. Cricketbadger at hotmail.com. Send your nominations in and you might hear one of your teammates or even yourself on future editions of the Cricket Badger Radio Show Podcast. let's get back to the quick, the quick questions if okay. you can meet anyone living or dead who would you like to meet
3: probably probably Johnny Cash
1: ok that's cool you like, um, you like a bit of his singing
3: yeah I suppose the main yeah just um, I've sort of got into him for the last maybe couple of years I just like the way his life read about his life and, and watched films about his life and uh, yeah no, I think it would be pretty pretty cool it would have been pretty cool to have met him yeah
1: if you won the lottery what's the first thing you'd do
3: oh I'll regularly discuss this <laughs> um, I'm not sure I'm not sure but the main things I'd do I'd probably buy a massive house that would be the first thing to do for me and then you know go on holiday and and yeah just just enjoy it for a bit but at, at the start I'd still probably play, play cricket and I would still still try and live a normal life. But, yeah, buy a big house and go on nice holidays would be would be up there.
1: Who would play you if they made a movie about your life? Ryan Higgins, the movie.
3: Who would play me? Oh, that's a tough one. I don't know, actually. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise would have to play me.
1: You'd have to learn some cricket when he'd be... It'd be, it'd be all yeah. right. What is your first memory of being really excited?
3: First memory of being excited. First time that my dad, my dad and mum went to went to England, and they came back with a. A big bag of new cricket stuff. That was probably my first memory of being really, really excited.
1: How old were you when you moved across from Zimbabwe?
3: I was thirteen, just about to turn fourteen.
1: That's quite a a pivotal moment in your kind of you're just turning into a teenager and everything. That that must have been quite a big thing for you at the time.
3: Yeah, it was. It was um, was interesting for me. Um, I was very excited to move, but obviously there were there was the odd blip in terms of I didn't really know what I was doing, but. But I, I just wanted to. I knew that that was going to be the beginning of my cricket career, so I just wanted to play professional cricket. And I knew that being in England was the best chance for me to do that. So it, it didn't affect me probably as much as it, it may have. Luckily, and that was probably due to cricket and being able to, you know, go into something straight away and and have it and luckily have something that I was striving for from such a young age.
1: That takes us back to the first question, isn't it? That you have never thought of anything else but cricket, and that that answer that you've just given bears testament to that, doesn't it? That, as a 13-year-old, yeah. you were basically mapping out your career.
3: Yeah, 100%. Um, I think, yeah, but before we moved over, I'd actually gone for like, I'd come to Millfield for scholarship stuff and, and things like that, which didn't really work out that well, but I ended up doing it at Bradfield anyway. But yeah, I suppose it was always once, once that had happened, it was always, you know, my parents were, were pretty keen to get all of what well, me and my brothers over. For my parents to move over, they could sort of see the benefits of that for me, but as well for my brothers you know going to university was easier and doing that kind of stuff would just be easier
1: for all of us what's the top item on your bucket list
3: i don't really have a massive bucket list but for me i'd i'd really like love to i suppose travel the world and and see different places that you know and that that will probably hopefully one day happen through cricket if it was gonna
1: You, you were out in abu dhabi weren't you in october the T20 out there because I was out there covering that.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: and, I was. Yeah. And yeah. That, 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 um, what your answer just there, I mean, I interviewed David Gower for the podcast a few uh, months ago, and he said that you know, he'd spent all of his life playing cricket and obviously then going into the skybox and covering cricket. And you go to the same countries, and they're lovely countries and the beautiful countries, you know, Sri Lanka, Australia, all the cricketing countries around the world, Caribbean. And he, his bucket list item was to go to some of the places in Europe and that he'd never ever had the chance to see because he was always playing cricket in the sunny. Sunny places.
3: But yeah, I suppose that would. Yeah, I suppose that's on it. I mean, me and my girlfriend have, have done a bit of travelling, but again, yes I suppose it has ended up being cricketing, cricketing nations because that's 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 what I do and what I have to do. But yeah, you're right. I suppose going to see other places would be be really nice.
1: Are you a morning I, or a night person?
3: I like to think I'm a morning person, but I think some it's, it's depending on the week, depending on the week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what celebrity annoys you the most? Oh, um. You, you said off oh, there as if there's there's quite a lot of them. <laughs>
3: yeah, there's quite a few, but I've been watching The Apprentice recently, Um, at least I suppose not really a celebrity, but that current guy from from um the apprentice who just got kicked booted off last night.
1: Do you know what? I was just, I, I was watching that just before I found you.
3: Yeah, he he frustrated me a lot. Just just he's so casual and almost acted as if it didn't care, but I'm sure it does it, you know, it probably does care to him but he he probably does care about it, sorry. But yeah, it just frustrated me that, you know, what an opportunity and sort of was acting a bit blasé about everything.
1: Would you fancy him in the at that?
3: <laughs> he apprentice, or oh, yeah. I mean it would be an it would be an interesting process, I suppose, to go through. Yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't say no to something like that if I if I was in that line of
1: work, I suppose. If your plane was about to crash, who would you want sitting next to you?
3: Probably my girlfriend, yeah. plane about to crash, um, she'd probably calm me down a bit. If
1: you had yeah. access to a time machine, where and when would you go?
3: Oh, um, I would probably go to the Wild West in America. I'm not sure what time that, I suppose, 1860s, eight something like that, whenever. I, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see the Wild West. Very interesting stuff for me, that.
1: A cowboy hat, with guns on your holster, and a, and a horse.
3: Yeah, 100%. I watched a lot of um documents, the actual like r- documentaries about how it really was, I suppose. And I quite enjoy that
1: kind of stuff, the history of that. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you choose?
3: New Zealand, Auckland. I love love I am. Um, I love the people out there. I um I love playing cricket out there, and and yeah, just the weather as well, the lifestyle, good access to nice beaches. Yeah.
1: If I could uh, give you the chance to change one thing about yourself, what would you do?
3: Wouldn't be be so um i don't know what the word is single-minded maybe maybe yeah i'm not sure
1: you're quite a focused individual and you'd like to be, maybe be a bit more relaxed
3: yeah maybe a bit more relaxed but then again i'm not sure if i'd want that too much again, <laughs> but yeah there's a single mind in this but yeah something like that
1: and finally it's a question i ask everybody this but you're only 23 so 10 years time makes you 33 so i guess the answer will be still playing but the question is what will you be doing in 10 years time
3: yeah 10 years time i think um i think as well yeah, I suppose the thought is to be playing, um but at the same time I'm not guaranteeing that so I suppose I don't I haven't really looked at 10 years but whatever I am doing I hope I hope I'm I'm doing well and and again doing it with passion something that I enjoy and and
1: have passion for. Have you thought about what you might do when you finish? I know it's a long, hopefully a long way away. Yeah,
3: yeah, hundred percent. I'm recently starting to do. I've been trying to do an online mentoring, sort of coaching, sort of stuff, which I'm sort of playing around with at the moment. Yeah, that that's about it, I suppose, at the moment. But yeah, I'm also um, doing a university course as well. I'm doing a part-time um, online university course in that. So I'll, hopefully I'll have a few options when that time comes to have to hang up the boots.
1: Well, as you say, you get back into uh, into full swing um, in the next week or so. Um, what are your hopes for twenty nineteen? Twenty
3: nineteen, I think my hopes twenty nineteen, um, as for individually it would probably be to have a slightly better year with the bats in the first class cricket. And also then as a uh, for the team I, I think we've you know, we've got good good goal. There's three people Three teams going up from Division Two next year, so I think that will be massively on the agenda for us. And also the T20 stuff, you know, we want to try and get past the quarterfinals this time, and and but keep playing good T20 cricket. And, and obviously the one day cricket is we'll keep working out.
1: It's been a pleasure to have you on the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast this week, Ryan. Wish you all the best for the well for the rest of the winter and for the summer ahead.
3: Thanks very much for having me, James. It's been awesome. I um, really enjoyed chatting to you.
0: It's that Badger style.
1: Thank you very much then to Dan Norcross and to Ryan Higgins for joining me on this 50th edition of the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast. We'll be back with issue number 51 next week. Thank you for all your support. And if you could take some time out to subscribe, like, make comments, positive hopefully, on the Cricket Badger Radio Show podcast, it would be much appreciated. See you next week. Until then, enjoy your cricket badgers.
0: Step badger style. Sports Social Podcast Network.